Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Today's probably going to be a little bit of a challenging message for you, but I don't apologize for that. And it is called How to Train Your Dragon. Now, if you have kids, you've probably seen this show. DreamWorks came out, cartoon. Uh, Here's the poster of it. It's kind of fun. You've got Hiccup, a young Norseman who's being trained to to, uh, fight dragons because apparently fighting dragons is what Vikings do. And you've got flying, fire-breathing dragons, and so you've got to learn how to slay the dragon, right? Well, what happens with him is he encounters an injured dragon, and he befriends the dragon, and he names him Toothless, and they become friends and they go on this great adventure together. So that's the, that's the whole movie. And so here's my point today, and this is where I'm going, and that is this, that we all have dragons in our life. And of course, these dragons vary from, from thing to thing, from person to person, and some are more ferocious than others. You say, Pastor Mike, why are you calling them dragons? I'll tell you what the dragons are. The dragons are the things that drag on us and pull us down and defeat us in life. And we all have these dragons, I'm, I'm telling you. And so we're, we're going to be looking at that today. We're going to be diving into that. And, and let's, let's talk about the dragon. We know who the dragon is. It tells us in Revelation 12, actually in other places, the dragon is actually named. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says the great dragon, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So we know who the dragon is. It's Satan himself. And it says he was cast down from heaven and he came to the earth with a third of his angels to do do war against the saints. That's us. And so we are in this battle with the enemy and the scripture is really clear about it that this is our enemy, not God's enemy. It says your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Whether the metaphor is the lion or whether it's the dragon, it's the same thing. He's here to destroy us and to drag us down and to defeat us in life. And so when, when, when we look at the dragons, what, what, are the, what are the dragons that we're dealing with? And it's a very simple model. Here's his strategy. He finds the area of our life that we're weak in, and we all have a weakness. Make no mistake about it. You all have a dragon. I'm afraid you do. And what he does is he finds your weakness, and then he exploits that weakness, and he sends a dragon into that area of life. So it might be greed, or it might be gluttony, or it might be gossip, or it might be lust, or it might you know, be alcoholism or drugs, or it might be low self-esteem, or it, it might be pride, or it might be prejudice. We all have a thing. We all have a thing. The enemy comes into that area and he sends a minion or a dragon into that area of our life. And then he has a second part of this scenario, a double whammy. Because the scripture says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So this is what he does. He sucks us into bad behavior and then he heaps shame and guilt on us for doing it. How do you like that deal? You all know what I'm, ta- you all know what I'm talking about. So I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about Lance Armstrong. You all remember Lance Armstrong? He won seven, count them, seven Tour de France's. And he did it all on drugs. Well, he was on drugs. I love this picture. <laughs> Just pretty much says it. 
And then as soon as we discovered that he was hopped up on drugs and he won, then the whole world dumped on him. We all ganged up on him and criticized him. And you know what? I think some of you need to quit ragging on him because when you used to be on drugs, you couldn't even find your bike, let alone win a Tour de France, right? And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to look at how do we deal with the dragons in our own life. We all have them. I'll be getting into that in a little bit more depth. But we, there's got to be a way to get free. How do we get free? How do we defeat the enemy? How do we deal with these dragons in our own life? So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to point up a few words and then I'm going to camp on those words. So here's what it says. Verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him... And have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. Say, put off the old man. (laughs) Then it goes on and says, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Say, spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Say, new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we look at this verse, there's a few things that I sort of pointed out to you, and this is what they were. There was the old man, the new man, and the spirit of the mind. And so that's where we're going to be going in a few minutes. But let's talk about what the dra- how the dragon is referenced here. He refers to being corrupted by the deceitful lusts of this world. And, you know, don't get caught up in the word lust that you think of it in terms of sexuality, although that's part of it. The, the deceitful lusts of this world are all of the human desires and passions that have the power to capture us and obsess us and destroy us. And they are a multitude and they are many and they can attack us in, in every way, shape and form, as I've already said. And, and you know, it was, it was Jordan Peterson. He actually did a thing on this called the slain the dragon in your life. And he calls the dragon the amalgam of predatory stimuli of this world. I mean, you'll like the guy or hate the guy. He's got away with words, right? And we have this amalgam of predatory stimuli in this world. These things that come after us, these things that, that try to, as I said, grab a hold of us and to drag us down. And make no mistake about it, every single one of you has a dragon. And I don't care who you are, I don't care how holy and how righteous you feel like you might be, we all have a weakness, we all have an area that the enemy can come in and exploit us. And even when we look at the great men and women of old, we look at these heroes in Scripture. Every single one of the heroes of Scripture had a weakness, did he not? Or did they not? Or she not? I mean, we look at some of the greats like Moses and Elijah and, and David. Well, they all had their, their moments. And they, I mean, we have Moses. What was his weakness? Well, he was full of insecurity and low self-confidence, and he was a, a defeated man many times. God just had to literally drag him along. Then you have Elijah. Elijah was one of the greats. I mean, miracles, raising people from the dead. Did he have any weaknesses? He was full of self-pity. He was always feeling sorry for himself. He was moody. He was depressive. And then you have David. Well, at least David was perfect, right? Because he was a man after God's own heart. Wow, you look at him. What were his things? Well, pride, adultery, treachery, murder. You know what? He turned out to be a pretty bad dude on some levels. And then you have his son, Solomon. And Solomon, of course, he was the wisest man that ever lived. Was he without problems? Yeah, you know, I, was, I, I wrote a whole book on him called The Greater Passion. And I, I think I was pretty generous when I referred to him as the world's most passionate man, history's most passionate man. I think I should have used another term. 
because I think he was actually the most sexual man. I think, I'm going to just say it. I think Solomon had a sexual addiction. 700 wives and 300 concubines? Really? Or as my, my daughter used to say when she was little, 300 porcupines. Who would want 300 porcupines? To which I would answer her back and say, who would want 700 wives? I mean, 700 wives? Really? Like, that's 700 mothers-in-law. That's 700 anniversaries. That's 700 birthdays, guys. You can't handle the one wife you have right now. What would you do with 700? And 300 spares on the side. I mean, there's something wrong with this dude. There's something, I mean, really, like seriously, man, think about it for a moment. How can you conceptualize having a thousand women in your life that you're just, I mean, where did he find energy to do anything else? Right? How did he build the kingdom? How did he fight a battle? I mean, we, you, you, you got it, right? And I don't care if he's married to him. I don't care. This man had a sexual addiction. I don't know how else you can put it. I think that was the deal with this guy. And I think we go through, we could look at every character in scripture, you see they all had problems. But I think what I'm going to do, because I'm on this at the moment, I think I'm going to camp here for just a moment. I'm going to chase this dragon first. Because I think the sexual dragon is one of the most predatory dragons there is out there. And I never thought I would live in a world that was so sexualized. Have you noticed how sexualized we've become? I mean, everything is about sex. Hollywood is completely obsessed with it. The internet has become a a repository of abject decrepitude, for goodness sakes. The young people, I feel sorry, sorry for them. They're bombarded with this stuff. It's in their face every single day. We have the politicians, we have the educators, we have the activists. That's all we do is we, we talk about it. And when did one's sexual preference become elevated to the level of fundamental human characteristics like race and culture and gender and, and uh, religion. Why have we elevated to that level? Why is it in our face? Why do we have to be out in the streets celebrating it? And I don't know, most of you aren't old enough to remember this, but in 1967, we had a, a prime minister, his name was Prime Minister Trudeau. I mean, the older one, you know, the smart one. And... Uh, and we, <laughs> <laughs> and what he did in 1967, <laughs> I can say whatever I want, I have the mic. And, and what he did in 1967 is he changed the criminal code. And, uh, you know, he was famous for a few things, Trudeau, the Pierre Trudeau. A few comments that he made that have gone down in infamy. The first one was Fuddle Duddle, I won't get into that one, what that was all about. The other one was Just Watch Me. But the third one is this, and I'm going to throw it up. This was from a, a CBC interview, and he changed his criminal code, and this is what he said. There's no place for the state in the bedrooms of the nation. And you know what? I actually agreed with him then, I agreed with him now. You know what? What people do in their bedrooms, it's none of my business. I don't care what they do in their bedrooms. My question is, why do we have to be dragging it into the streets? Why do we have to be talking about it? Why do we have to be celebrating it? Why do we have to have it in our face 24-7? And that's my, my concern with this. And I think what's happened is the enemy has realized this is such a profound weakness for us that I think... And in particular, uh, internet pornography, yes, I'm going to go there, because nobody talks about this stuff. Internet pornography, I think, has become the most insidious and the vicious of all the dragons. It is absolutely destroying the soul of a generation. You know, I, I get it. L- l- let, me, let me just tell you this. I, I get it. You know, I was a teenager once, too. I understand this. 
See, the teenagers are exposed to this stuff 24-7. They have access on their phones to it 24-7. And you think what you want, parents, but I'm telling you, they're into this stuff big time, and the research has proven it. When I was growing up in the 60s and 70s as as a teenage boy, you know how much access you had to porn? Zero. Zero. It's not that we didn't want it. <laughs> we wanted it. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be self-disclosing to tell you this story. I'm going to tell you about my first and only experience with pornography when I was 14 years old. My friend Mike down the street, he had an older brother who was 12 years older than him, and he found a Playboy magazine under his brother's bed. He phoned me up right away and said, get over here. I didn't walk, I ran. And I ran there and we locked the door. We sat in that bedroom and we looked through this magazine. We couldn't believe our eyes. We could not believe it. And then after half an hour, we went and put that magazine back. We talked about that encounter for months. We were both Catholics. So we knew this for a fact, that we were both going straight to hell. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the one thing we knew. And as we talked about it, we both decided it was probably worth it. <laughs> but I'll tell you, we were just wrapped with guilt. And because guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, the, the Jews invented it, the Catholics perfected it. And... Um, and, you know, here's what we were told. Some of you remember this. You grew up in the same era that I did. Our, our parents told us this, that this stuff will make you go blind. How, how many of you remember? How many of you remember? This stuff will make you go blind. Well, good news, people. It won't make you go blind. Bad news is it will give you brain damage. And I'm not joking about this. You need to go read the research on this. I actually challenge you all to go read the research on this. They've discovered what it is doing to a generation, and it's literally giving them brain damage. It actually numbs the prefrontal cortex, the executive function area of the brain, and it desensitizes them not only to pornography and not only to sexuality, but to the point they, they say that these, these young people that are growing up with this stuff year after year, and the level of addiction is is pretty high. Let me let me show you a stat. Let me, let me this is just a little some stats on this. There's a bunch of them in there, but look at the one in the top left corner. Thirty percent of all web traffic today is dedicated to pornography. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and you know what? People aren't really talking about this stuff. But the, the neuroscientists have done some work on this, and they're realizing that these kids and, and young people, and people of all ages for that matter, that it is literally affecting them not only psychologically, but physiologically. It is actually damaging their brain and numbing them to actual true life relationships with real life people of opposite sex. And they've also discovered that even if they do encounter relationships, they've got young men in their 30s who've been into this stuff for 15 and 20 years that are now suffering from ED, erectile dysfunction, at 35 years old. All because of the effect that it's created on the mind. Now, good news is it is is reversible. You know how you reverse it? You stop it. That's how you reverse it. You stop it. You've got to get off this stuff, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But it's like any addiction. The problem with these addictions, the problem with the way the dragon works in our life, and, and I'm just using this as an example, but it's true in every area of our life. What it, what it does is the more you have and the more you consume, the more you need. And the frequency and the dosage has to increase. Isn't that true with drug addicts? They have to try harder drugs and they have to try, try the more, uh, you know, higher doses and more frequent. Isn't that true with alcoholics? They have to drink more, and they have to drink more often to have the same effect. And the same thing is true. It's as simple as food. 
The, f- the food thing becomes this trap. We, we become, uh, uh, you know, obsessed with food. And the more we eat, the, more, the hungrier we are. And everything in life is like that. And that's how the enemy works. He finds that weakness. And he sends this dragon to corrupt us. And he, and he draws us in. And the effect of this that I'm talking about is called the Coolidge effect. And it's a, kind of a bizarre story. I'm going to tell it to you because it's sort, sort of interesting. And uh, it comes from the world of animal science. And they've noticed this, that if you have breeding stock, if you have male breeding stock in, you know, steers or, or sorry, bulls or, or rams, uh, what happens is the, 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 if they're exposed to just the same single female, the same you or the same, you know, uh, female, uh, then their frequency of getting interested takes longer and longer and longer time between. And uh, what happens is if you introduce a variety, more and more females, it makes them, for lack of a better word, randier, more excitable. And the more frequency, the more interest that they are. And the same thing happens with all addictions. We have to have a higher volume and a higher degree of frequency and a higher degree of novelty and and newness. And that's how addictions track us. And that's how they, they pull us down. And the funny thing about this name, the Coolidge Effect, I'll tell you the story behind it. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going anyway, because it's kind of amusing. So it goes back to Calvin Coolidge, the former president of the United States. And he and his wife were on a tour of a farm. And they got separated, and they're on two separate tours. And Mrs. Coolidge was with the hens and the roosters, and she was noticing this rooster was doing an awful lot of mating with the hens. And so she said to the farmer, how often does this rooster mate? And, and, and the farmer said, that rooster can mate up to 15 times a day. And so Mrs. Coolidge says, well, make sure you tell the president that when he comes by. <laughs> so that's the first part of the story. So then the president comes by on the tour. And so the farmer, you know, honoring that request, tells him about how often the rooster can mate. So Mr. Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge says this, well, always with the same hand? And he says, oh, no, that's a different hand every time. To which Calvin Coolidge said, make sure you tell Mrs. Coolidge that. (laughs) I know, it's a bit sketchy. But uh, as a result, it's a funny story because they've actually named this thing after Calvin Coolidge. I mean, I suppose there's worse things to have named after you, right? It's like the guy, he's at the doctor. The doctor says, I got some bad news and good news. He says, well, what's what's the bad news? He says, the bad news is you've got an incurable disease. It's very rare. We've never really seen it before. There's no cure and you're gonna die. He says, well, what could possibly be the good news? He says, well, the good news is we're going to name the disease after you, right? (laughs) So my point is this, that basically all obsessions, all addictions, all the traps of the enemy, they all work the same way. It's the Coolidge effect. The more you imbibe in it, the worse it gets, and the deeper and deeper you get into it. The big question is, how do we get free? How do we train the dragon? How do we slay the dragon? How do we render him toothless? Because I think that is what our goal is. So in our verse, Paul gave us three things that are really important. He talked about renewing of the spirit of the mind. He talked about uh, putting off the old man and putting on the new. And so I'm going to throw it up on the screen one more time. So number one, how to train your drag. Number one, get in your right mind. Number two, put off the old man. Number three, put on the new man. So it all starts with getting into your right mind, or as Paul put it, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. And there's a story you all know 
from Scripture, which is really fascinating. Most of you don't know the end of the story. Well, you know it, but you don't think about it. It has to do with the fact that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and he went to see this man in the Gadarenes called the Madman of Gadara. The madman of Gadara, he was pretty messed up. I don't know what his problem was, but it was pretty bad. He had a lot of demons. He ran naked around the, the, the mountains. He screamed all night. He cut himself with rocks. They tried to bind him with fetters, and they couldn't hold him back. He was just this crazy brother-in-law like you probably all have. And uh, so Jesus goes to see this guy, and when he finds him, he casts the demons out of him, plural, casts them into the pigs. The pigs go over the cliff and into the ocean. And the end of the story is particularly interesting to me. Because then it goes back to the man, and it says, And the man was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And see, the key was that Jesus got him into his right mind. And see, that's what the scripture talks about, is that we actually have to get in our right mind. We have to start deciding what we are going to do in our life. Because here, here's, the, here's the factor on this. See, every action actually is a thought first. Before you act, you actually think. It could be conscious or unconscious, and we'll get into that in a moment. But actions are a consequence of your thoughts. See, nobody accidentally robs a bank on the way home. You know, you get home, you walk in the door, you got all these bags of money, and and, uh, your wife says, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, weird thing, I robbed a bank on my way home. Really? Did you remember to bring the milk? Oh, no, it slipped my mind, forgot the milk. No, nobody actually does that. You actually think about robbing the bank. And I remember, i got to tell you this story because it's pretty funny. I remember preaching on this once, and I was talking about that verse out of Proverbs that says this, the wicked man lies on his bed and devises evil. And then I talked about how, you know, before you rob a bank, you actually have to plan it, and you lie in your bed, and you plan the whole thing out. That's how you do it. So at the end of the service, this guy comes up to me, kind of a rough-looking guy, he was covered in jailhouse tats, so I, I knew where this guy would come from. And he comes up to me and says, Pastor, I'm offended with that message. Now, normally I would say, well, take a number. Like, you know, there's people in front of you in the line. But, you know, I, I thought better of it because I was afraid of him. And I said, oh, oh, what, what part? He said, I don't lie on my bed and think about evil. <laughs> but I did draw, rob a bank. <laughs> he said, I'm trying to figure this out. I said, well, my bad. So how'd that happen? <laughs> and so he tells me the story about how he literally robbed a bank and he went to jail. He served 10 years and now he's out and he comes to church and I'm talking about it and calling him evil and he was offended. So, you know, you know what you do? I apologized to him because I didn't want him to beat me up or kill me or whatever he was going to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because when we do something for the, you know, for the first time, you actually think about it a lot. You know, your mind is always thinking and planning and scheming. And I want to tell you my bank robbery story. Have you ever heard my bank robbery story? Probably not. When, when we first started this church, we were in a church building. We rented a church building for a year. It was on the corner of Nathaniel and Grant over there in Grant Park. still there, right across from the mall. And it's got a little, it's got a zigzag roof like this. You can't miss it. It's a Royal Bank today. But back in the day, it was a church building. And we rented it and they gave it to us for a year. And then they told us, after a year, we're going to be building this into a bank. And then they told me this. They should have never told me this. They said, by the way, the vault is going to go exactly where your office is. 
And then I started to plan this robbery. From <laughs> I did. I started planning this robbery. And I would sit in my office, and I would look across the lane. And across the lane, there was a basement apartment. It was for rent. And I thought I could rent the basement apartment over there, and I could dig a tunnel underneath, <laughs> underneath the lane and have it come up right underneath my office, which is going to be the vault. And then when they built the vault there and it's full of money, I'll come up one night, and I'll bang the concrete out, and I'll rob the, the bank. It'll be the perfect crime. And so I'm thinking about this, and every day I'm supposed to be preparing my sermon. But I find myself looking out the window and imagining what it's going to be like to dig this tunnel. What am I going to do with the dirt? How am I going to get out of there without anybody noticing? And, and I'm planning and scheming this whole thing. And it, I was obsessed with it for months and months and months. Now, I am glad to tell you that I never did rob the bank. But to this day, I wonder if the tunnel is still there. <laughs> Oh, you might find that amusing. This is actually a true story, not the tunnel part, but the thinking, the thinking about it was. And, and I realized something that that's when we're doing, about to do something really terrible for the very first time, we think a lot about it. But what happens is it's our unconscious thought that actually gets us from there on. And neuroscientists tell us that 70, sorry, 95% of your actions are actually done through unconscious thought. And what you do 95% of your life is completely unconscious. It's not that you're not thinking about it. You are thinking about it, but you're thinking about it unconsciously, and you just do the same things every day. If you think about your life, your, your life is actually very boring, if you think about it, because you do 95% of the same things every single day. You know, you go to bed at, at night, you set your alarm clock, you lie down, you wake up in the morning, you hit the snooze button, you sleep, snooze for 10 minutes, you get up, you have a cup of coffee, you probably peed in between, but I'm not going to tell that part of the story. And, uh, and then you get in your car, you drive to work exactly the same way, and we do it all unconsciously. You don't even think about it. Well, you are thinking about it, but you're not consciously thinking about it. And you know, Elon Musk has been bragging and bragging about these self-driving cars. I have been driving a self-driving car for decades. Whenever I get into my car, it always goes to the same place, to this building. Always. It doesn't matter where I'm going. And Kathy, we'll be going out for the evening. We're driving somewhere. Kathy says, where are you going? And I went, huh? She says, where are you going? I said, same place I go every day. My car drives because I'm unconsciously... I, you've all done this. You've done this. I'm sure you've done this. And I do it every day. And I drive. I realize I drive in the same lane and, and change lanes at exactly the same spot every single day. I never think about it. And when there's construction, it throws me right off. This is my lane. I have to consciously think about driving. And I know I'm sort of making fun about this, but this pattern of unconscious thought is actually driving and ruling our life. And I want to show you a quote. This is from a, a psychologist by the name of John Arden. It was in a book called Rewire Your Brain. He says, the more you do something, the more likely it is that you will do it again in the future. Repetition rewires the brain and breeds habits. And so these things that drag us down in life. These dragons, you know what we're doing? We are thinking about them and we're repeating them and we get to the point where we just do them over and over and over again unconsciously. Yes, you were thinking about it, but you were doing it unconsciously. And I, I've never been a smoker, but I know a lot of smokers and I, it's interesting to watch them because they never think about lighting up. They just do it. Out comes the pack, out comes the cigarette, out comes the lighter. They don't even know they're lighting up. 
But unconsciously, this pattern has developed, and they can't, it's so hard to quit smoking because they're not even thinking about it. And the key, the answer to this is to to start thinking about your thinking. I'm not joking about this, because this is what the scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will prove the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. See, you have to start thinking about what you do. Carl Jung, the psychologist, was really big into this, and he said this. He said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate. And he was really big on this. He said that if you're going to have victory in life, you're going to actually, if you're going to break out of whatever it is, whatever patterns you are stuck in your life, you're going to have to make the unconscious conscious. You're going to have to start thinking about these things. And they, they call it metacognition. And what that means, it literally means thinking about thinking. And, you know, we sort of struggle with that thinking about thinking. You know, I have women coming up to me all the time. They say, Pastor Mark, I'm having such a hard time in my marriage. I just want to know what he's thinking. And I think, I know what he's thinking. You want to know what he's thinking? Nothing, nothing. Why do you think he's thinking about something? You want to know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about his car. He's thinking about his motorcycle. He's thinking about that new tool he's going to buy at, at, you know, Princess Auto. I'm sorry, honey. He's not thinking about you. I know there's a little marriage counseling tip there for you. That was for free. <laughs> and they're not very bright, guys, but I was just sharing that with you. But, but we've got, we're going to have to start thinking about these things if we're going to possibly change the patterns in, in, in our life. You have to make it conscious. And so, like I said, they call it metacognition, which is interesting because you know what the word repentance is literally in the Greek? It's the word metanoia. It's exactly the same word, repentance. Repentance does not mean to feel remorse about something. Repentance, that word metanoia, means literally to change your mind. And you see, it's one thing to be remorseful about something, but you actually have to think about it and think, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my direction. And that is the only way you're ever going to change life patterns in your, is if you can begin to change your mind and get in your right mind. Thank you. One person thought I was doing good here. (laughs) So I want to tell you one of my favorite stories, and it's about uh, Governor Neff. Years ago, I think it was back in the 60s, he was the governor of Texas. And once a year, he would visit one of the state penitentiaries, and he would give a talk to the inmates, and he'd try to encourage them to get on with their life. And then one day he said this. He said, if any of you want to talk to me privately... I'll be happy to listen to you. I'll be here for a while. We had a lineup of 50 or 60 guys. 50 or 60 guys all lined up, and they all said the same thing. They all said, I'm innocent. I was framed. Here, I was framed. And one by one by one, they all said how they didn't deserve to be there, and they were innocent, they didn't do this thing. And then finally, one guy came up, and he said, Governor Neff, I thank you so much for, for coming here. And I just want you to know that I'm guilty of everything I was charged with. And uh, I am so ashamed of what I've done and, and the way I've lived. And if I ever do get out of prison, my commitment is I'm going to do everything in my power to live a life as a worthy citizen. And Governor Neff handed out one pardon that day. Guess who got it? The guy who had admitted that he was guilty and wanted to change his life. And then, of course, when he pardoned this guy, they all said, What are you doing? You're letting a convicted criminal out of prison. And he says, yes, I know. I don't want this guilty man corrupting the other innocent prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing is this. We've got to get in our right mind. 
We have to start thinking about what we're thinking about, and we can't just go through life letting that 95% drive and rule our life in the same habitual patterns that we've been in up until this point. The second thing here is you have to put off the old man. Put off the old man. Now, I'm going to give you a little verse on this. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I'm just going to give you the end part of this. It says this. It says, Let us lay aside or put off every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says we need to lay aside. It's the same word as put off. It means to lay, put off or to cast away or cast aside. And he says we need to lay aside or cast aside every weight and every sin. You notice how he distinguished between the two, between the weight and the sin? See, not everything is a sin, but not everything is helpful either. And some of you have sins in your life that you need to deal with. Some of you have weights in your life that you just need to deal with. They're just things that are unhelpful. And you'd be better off without them because they are dragging on you. And they are dragging you down. You know, one of the ones that always comes up, I already mentioned it, was, was smoking. I have people come to me all the time and say, Pastor Mark, will I go to hell for smoking? I said, no. You'll just smell like you've already been there. And if anything, you'll get to heaven quicker if you, if you want to look at it that, if you want to look at it that way. And it's just one of those things. I don't think smoking is a sin, but is it helpful? No. We know well enough to know that it's not helpful for us. It's one of the weights that drags us down. It's like the story of this grade two teacher. She decided to illustrate this to the kids, and so she pulled out three beakers and she filled one with alcohol and one with smoke and one with soil, and she took three worms and put a worm in each one of these jars. The next day they came back and the, the worm in the alcohol was dead and the worm in the smoke was dead and the worm in the soil was living and happy. And so she turned to her grade two class and she said, what lesson does this teach you? Little Johnny put up his hand and said, I know. If you smoke and drink, you'll never have worms. <laughs> and so what we have to do is we have to get in our right mind but then we have to put off the old man. And you have to consciously decide, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to live like this any longer. And the, one of the greatest and most instructive stories on this is the story in Scripture about blind Bartimaeus. You, you know why they called him blind Bartimaeus? Because he was blind. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, so Jesus came by. He couldn't see him because he was blind, but he could hear him, and he knew he was there. And so blind Bartimaeus started crying out, and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the disciples shushed him, and they went and shushed him and said, shush, shush, do you bothering the master? And it said he shouted out the more. And then it said he stood to his feet, and he cast off his garment. You've heard me talk about this before. He cast off his garment. Most people miss it when we read that story. What was so important? What was the significance of this garment? Because in those days, a beggar, to identify himself as a beggar on the street, wore a particular garment. And what he did when he got up and he cast off the garment is he said, I'm not going to be a beggar anymore. And you see, this is the key to this. We have to get in our right mind and then we have to say, what is this behavior? that has trapped me? What is this behavior that has snared me? I've got to cast it off. I've got to get rid of it. I want to tell you a story that maybe a bunch of you won't remember. 
but I remember really clearly because about 20 years ago, there was a, a, a very successful pastor by the name of Ted Haggard. And he was in Colorado Springs, and I used to read his books, and the church was booming, and he was engaging his community, and he was a fiery, dynamic preacher. He was a great leader. He really was. But he had a dragon in his life. And the dragon in his life was same-sex attraction and drugs. And I don't know if you know this, but that's a poor combination with being a minister of the gospel. And it didn't really work for him. And what ended up happening was he got found out because surely your sins will find you out. And eventually it got discovered. Uh, he had been into this stuff. Even his wife didn't know about it. And, it. and he got outed and it was all over the news and it was a big public thing. He had to decide how he's going to deal with it. And he decided he was just going to come clean. And he was just going to admit it, and he was going to declare it. He had to step down from ministry. He lost his church. But he was such a celebrity and such a big name that people were interested in his story. And he was trying to get free, and he was fighting this battle, and he realized that he had these demons, or he had this dragon that he had to slay. And Oprah has him on her shell. And so he's talking about these feelings and these impulses that he has. And this is what she said. Here's, here's, the, here's the picture from the, from the scene. She says to him, why don't you just admit that this is who you are and quit fighting it? When have you caught that? Why don't you just admit that this is who you are and quit fighting it? Isn't that what the world says to us? Isn't that what they tell us to do? Why don't you just say that's who you are? Why don't you just quit fighting it? Just admit that that's who you are and live with it and quit letting people judge you for that. I mean, you imagine, imagine if Paul the Apostle had done that. Remember his habits? He had some bad habits before he became a, a Christian. He used to persecute the church and kill Christians. And imagine if he became a minister of the gospel and continued on killing people. And the people said, Paul, what are you, what are you doing? You've got, you got to quit coming into our churches and killing people. He says, well, don't judge me. It's just who I am. <laughs> it's just who I am. How many times do we hear that? How many times do you hear that a week? I bet some of you heard it this week. Don't judge me. It's just who I am. And that is so defeatist. And that's such a victim mentality. And we are not victims. We are victors. We have been called to be victorious in this life. And so the first thing is to get in your right mind. The second thing is you need to put off the old man. And the third and the final thing is you need to put on the new man. See, and don't miss this point on this. See, if you have something you're trying to break in your life, Something that hanging on you and pulling you down. Uh, if you can't just quit that thing without replacing it with something better. You get that, right? You, take, you put off the old man and you put on the new. And so you have to replace it. And that's why the spiritual disciplines are so important. That's why the assembly of the church together is so important. That's why fellowship with others is so important. That's why reading the word is so important. Prayer is so important. Worship is so important. You say, why do you do all that stuff? Because you're filling your life with wholesome things, godly things. And it is part of the renewing of your mind so you would be transformed. And you see, unless you fill your life with other things that are the good things that God has designated for you, you'll never defeat the old man. So let me just close by mentioning a story you all know. It's the story of the prodigal son. And the, the, the pattern that we just talked about here is in this story. And I'll give you the shortest, shortest version of this story. You remember the youngest son, he went off, took his inheritance. He spent it on prodigal living. It was all gone. He was living in the pigsty up to his neck and slop feeding the pigs, remember? And you know what the scripture says? It says, and he came to his he came to his senses. He came to his right mind. And he realized, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm destroying my life. He says, I should go back to be with my father because I would live better as a servant with him than a slave where I am now. 
So the first thing was he did, he, he came to his right mind. And then he heads down the road. He's made this decision. He's acting on his thoughts. And he's heading down the road. And you remember the father ran down the road to greet him. And he gave him a big hug. Who remembers what he smells like? Well, it doesn't mention it, but we can imagine it. And you know what he's got to do? He's got to get rid of that garment. He's got to get rid of that garment. Because the very next thing, the father gave him a ring and gave him sandals and gave him a new what? A new robe. What did he do? He cast off the old man and he put on the new man. He first came to his right mind. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. That's how you get free. Because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And if God be for you, who can be against? Let's stand together, shall we? All right, let's take a moment here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know there's people in this room that have never invited Christ into their life. And you know, this whole journey, it starts there. It doesn't end there, but it certainly starts there. And if, if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never invited him into your heart, you've never accepted the work of the cross, or maybe you have in the past and you've slipped away, I want to give you an opportunity to come back. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, If that's you today and you'd like to make this decision to be a follower of Jesus, I won't call you forward, won't single you out. I want you to just slip up your hand right where you are. Right where you are. Hold up your hand and say, yeah, that's what I need. I need that relationship with the living God. All right, thank you. Anybody else want to join these folks? Yeah, thanks at the back. Thanks at the side. Thanks in the middle. Anybody else? Yeah, take a moment. Don't be shy. I'm not calling you forward. Yeah, great, fantastic. Lots of hands. You can put down your hands. I didn't see everybody's hand, but it doesn't matter. So we're all going to pray together. We're going to pray with you. And we're all going to pray because guess what? We all have a dragon. We all need to get free. So, so let's pray together. I'm going to use the word repentance in this prayer. So get ready. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. That you died for my sins. And you washed them away. And therefore, I repent of them. I change my thinking and I will think on you and not on those things. And you not only died for those sins, but you rose on the third day and you forever live to be my Lord. All things have passed away. All things have become new. The dragons are maybe not dead, but I have rendered them toothless. By the name of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.